Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. Well, hello. If I have not met you before, my name is Jacinda. I'm one of the pastors here at Coast Vineyard, and it is my very great pleasure to be back off holiday. Why don't we pray as we uh, just welcome uh, God's continued presence here with us this morning. Father, we are profoundly grateful for the fact that you choose to come and to be with us, that you inhabit our praises. So as we lift our voices this morning in worship, you are right here with us, ministering to us, meeting with us. And I ask God that as we dive into your word and and spend some time just reflecting on a few things as we start our year with you, God, would you pour your love out upon us again? You are love, and we are your beloved ones. And I ask God that you would help us to encounter that love again in fresh ways this morning. Come, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. So there's a certain kind of change energy that seems to grip us at this time of the year, doesn't there? So it's, I don't know if it's because, you know, we, got, we actually we survived December. Yeah. Yes, we did. It's almost like we need medals, I reckon. It's just like, we did it. <laughs> we made it. Smoke on our heels. We made it to Christmas Day. And then we get to push pause and we get to have this wonderful break over the summer. Did we get away? Have some fun? We had sunshine. Oh, so good. In fact, I've been talking to a few people and they're like, I feel completely unprepared for the fact that it is mid-February because I've spent my whole summer cramming in as much as I possibly could while the sun was shining. Anyone? Yeah, it's just like, oh, the sun is out. We kind of felt unprepared for the year last year because we didn't really get a summer break. And this year we feel a little unprepared for the, summer break, uh, for the start of the year because we crammed so much into it. So either which way... It is a start that we often feel like, oh, okay, we're in, you know, back in getting kids ready for school, back on that commute into the city or further, for some of you I know. And and we have that anticipation of, you know, kind of hope and and kind of positivity for a year. It's like, could it be different? Could it be better? Even more than the year before? Except, I don't know about you, but I wake up every day and I look in the mirror and... It's the same old me. Um, I gave up doing um, New Year's Eve goals uh, many, many, many years ago because uh, I am like all of those many other people in the statistics that give them up quite quickly. Uh, And I know that there are people that are really diligent with that. Go you. Just, I'm not one of them. Other people, they spend their summer asking God, is there a word, a theme for my year that's kind of going to guide me through my year? I'm not that person either, even though I am a bit of a words person. But um, I think the thing that catches me out a little bit is that change takes so much longer than I thought it would. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that change was going to be easier. I thought that my desire to live a more authentic, real, integrated, 
holistic life where my faith is woven into all of who I am and what I do would be a much easier thing to achieve when I started this journey about three and uh, but decades ago. And uh, the truth is, it takes time and it's incremental. And this time of the year is that wonderful time where we do get to actually pause. Even if we've spent our whole summer racing around like crazy people and swimming every minute we could, this is still an opportunity for us to pause and to reflect on the year that's been. To be able to review the kinds of habits and rhythms and practices that have filled our calendars and our days and possibly reset some of them, as we anticipate another year. And as we spend time talking to God about what is it that you are doing in me right now and what is it that you want to do through me in this season. For example, over the summer break, I've had this lingering longing to be able to just take more time with God in my mornings. Last year, I was doing postgrad study as well as working. I work here, but I also work as a spiritual director, and I'm involved volunteering with 24-7 prayer here in New Zealand. So I kind of have a few balls that I'm juggling, quite apart from the fact that, you know, I'm still mum to my kids. I'm still married. I still run a home. You know, there's life, isn't there? And uh, I, last year, honestly, I lived at an unsustainable pace. It kind of it was way too full for way too long. So this year I find myself longing to be able to just create a little more spaciousness, more time to be able to actually just linger with God in particular and with people because that largely got crowded out. People didn't, didn't get as anywhere near as much time and energy as I wanted to give them last year. And so this year, and I'm also, I'm mid-50s now, and so I need to, you know, do that exercise thing that every tell, everyone tells me is so good for me, which I'm never very good at. But, I, you know, I decided, okay, I want to have some new rhythms to sort of bookend my day. At the start of the day, I felt God's invitation into just carving out more time to be able to sit quietly with Him, to read Scripture, to pray, to just take my time sitting in silence, to move, whether that's, you know, walking or Pilates or, you know, whatever it is, but I'm actually moving moving every day, doing something there, to be able to foster creativity in my life. I'm doing morning pages every day. And, that, you know, I was kind of, I was getting into a pretty good groove over the summer, I've got to tell you. I was quite chuffed. It's like, okay, look at me go. Walking a few Ks every day, spending time with God. And honestly, there was that deep, quiet satisfaction that comes with feeling like I was actually living in alignment with what really mattered to me. And then I came back to work. And we had short weeks where everything was condensed and crammed in. We had uh, lots of social events that we were hosting, uh, you know, for church staff, with friends, with our family. We've got more coming up. We've got an engagement party next weekend. We've got, you know, like this just, it's like, ooh, okay, here we go. And we're trying to get our house ready to put on the market so we can move up here to the glorious coast that many of you already inhabit. There's, you know, there's been a bit to come back to. And you can see where I'm going with this, can't you? Anyone else relate? It's like we have these uh, longings in our heart. We begin to step into some of these new rhythms and habits, but we find that life conspires against some of them. We have to be way more deliberate, way more intentional than possibly we ever thought before. So I'm actually still pretty happy. Like I'm still doing most of those things most days. I have some things at night as well that I try and sort of, so my day is held with these practices that feel life-giving, 
that I, you know, I think God has kind of caught my attention with. This is really important for this season of life. James Clear, who wrote a book, Atomic Habits, which I have to admit, I haven't read all the way through yet, but I'm partway through. And he says, as long as we, if we're creating a new habit, as long as we don't skip it for three days in a row, then we're still on track. So I'm like, yep, good. I haven't skipped them all for three days. Like, at least two out of the three in the morning, you know, is definitely happening. It's just like a bit of a movable feast, whether it's the writing or the walking. So I'm still working it out. But at least I feel like I'm incrementally being able to bring some change. That feels important. But I don't know about you, but life can feel pretty tiring. I had a 12 or 13-hour workday the other day, and I was like, I was pooped, man. I was like, came home, wrecked me for my night rhythm, and wrecked me for the next morning. It's like, okay, I don't want to live like this. Somehow, you know, I need to be able to put more margin in. Your context is going to look different from mine. But I suspect that all of us are faced with similar challenges some way or another. For some of you, you are in the thick of getting your kids back into the kindy and school routine. But they're not sleeping at night, are they? Because it's daylight savings and it's really hot. So everyone's turning up in the morning pretty scratchy and grumpy. Anybody? I've heard a few families going, oh my goodness, bring on the end of daylight savings. (laughs) Yeah, that's you. Yeah, it's a tough time of the year. Or you may be one of our students who just headed back to school or you're anticipating your uni program starting up in a couple of weeks. And just the idea of like, I've got to get back into the rigors of study, you know, like, and some of the constraints that that creates. You might be juggling that with part-time work and still trying to stay in touch with your friends. And that may all have you feeling a little bit overwhelmed or anxious as you start your year. Or you are back at work and the commute, hopefully, isn't too long. But I know some of you have got really long commutes and that fills your days alongside really busy calendars, meetings that you have to attend and deadlines you have to meet. It doesn't leave heaps of energy and time left over, does it? So whatever circumstance we're in, whatever life stage we're in, we all have limited time and energy. And we often feel like we are expected to spend ourselves without necessarily having all of the resources to be able to meet what we think are all of the demands on us. And somehow, within the context of all of our lives, we are called, we are invited, We are challenged and we are stirred to follow Jesus and to live out our discipleship to him. And it's no different than when he met his first disciples. It's easy sometimes for us to sort of put these romantic rose-tinted glasses on and go, well, they just had way more time back then. But did they, though? They had no technology. Everything was done by hand. They worked from dawn till dusk. And his first disciples were fishermen. Their livelihoods depended on them getting up early, heading out, spending the day fishing, coming back, cleaning the fish, selling the fish, getting ready for the next day's fishing, going home, and doing it all over again. And we read about Jesus going and meeting them. He meets two brothers, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. And you can imagine the conversation being something like this. Jesus is wandering about. He heads down to the beach. And he sees these guys, they've come back in from fishing, they're cleaning the fish, washing the nets, getting everything ready at the end of the day. And you can imagine the conversation is like what we do when we see people up at Oriwa. It's like, so how's the fishing going? How was your catch today? Can I have a look? And so what what sort of fish is that? You know, you're just, just being friendly, being interested in their lives. And as they're going about their fishing business, as he strikes up this conversation with them, 
that he says to them, come and follow me. Come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men, whatever that means. Like they wouldn't have had any clue what that means. And do you know what their response was? They dropped everything and followed him. Something about Jesus was so attractive, so compelling, that they just walked away from their jobs, their livelihoods. But he met them in the context of their regular, ordinary lives. And then, now they're a little group of three, they trundle on down the beach, and they meet some more fishermen. And he does it again. He invites them to come and join him, and what do they do? The exact same thing. These were Zebedee's sons. You can imagine how thrilled he was. It's like, and off they go. And here I am with all the fish to sort out, you know. When Matthew, the tax collector, was called, we read about that interaction. Jesus went on from there and he saw a man named Matthew, or Levi, sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me as my disciple, accepting me as your master and teacher and walking the same path of life that I walk. And Matthew got up and followed him. I love the amplified version of that, the translation that unpacks what following Jesus means. To be a disciple, where Jesus is our master and teacher and that we're invited to walk on the same path that he walks. Jesus encountered his disciples in the context of their regular lives and invited them to change how they lived and how they related to him and to one another from that point on. And he hasn't stopped. He's doing that still today. We meet Jesus amid the regular, ordinary, busy, less busy lives that we have. That's where we're going to meet him. He breaks into what we're doing and extends an invitation to us and asks, will you come and follow me? And then if we choose to say yes, because each of us then have a choice to make, don't we? What do I do with that invitation? And if we choose to say yes, then we're going to spend the rest of our lives working out what that looks like. How do I follow him in the context of the life that I have been given? I think sometimes in the West, we still get a little bit caught up in thinking uh, the sort of sacred secular divide, which is nothing that you will find in Scripture, but you will find from Socrates onwards. is this thinking that our, our normal life is not spiritual. You know, our getting up in the morning, feeding the kids, going to work, exercising, all of that. That's not spiritual. The bits where maybe I have a quiet time with God or I come to church or I'm connected into a small group, you know, that, that's the spiritual bit of my life. It's like somehow there's this divide between them. That's not scriptural. The whole of our lives are spiritual. And God is going to meet us within the context of the whole of our lives. That's how he works. All of life is filled with the potential of encountering him. And we're encouraged and invited to increasingly offer up our lives to him so that he can. I love the way the message translation puts Romans 12, 1 to 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what he does for you is the best thing that you can do for God. 
our response is the best thing that we can do for God. We don't have to earn any of that. It's just freely given. We just offer up our lives. And we learn to do that usually incrementally. As we get to know God more, as we learn how to trust him more, we tend to give more and more, to yield ourselves increasingly to him. And then we discover him in the midst of our lives. Kate Bowler, who is an author, she has, uh, she's a Methodist uh, author in the States, and she, I think she's in her 40s, she was diagnosed with colon cancer and has written some books out of that experience. She talks about our beautiful, terrible lives. Because it's a mix, isn't it? It's like we have beauty and joy and wonder, and we have hardship and pain and grief all rolled into this big swirly mess that we call life. And that is where God is going to meet with us. And I don't think, you know, like we often think, I can can imagine, because I've had these conversations with people before, they're like, oh, please don't ask me to do anything else. I feel like I'm maxing out already. I don't have time, you know, to add in a whole lot of other, you know, spiritual practices. It's just like, I just, how? How am I supposed to do that? How do I work this thing out of following Jesus? It may be more about us learning to attune our ears and our eyes and our hearts for where he is in the thick of our regular stuff, the things we're already doing. There's a beautiful book by, um, actually I'm going to recommend it to you later, but I can show you it now. Uh, The Liturgy, Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. And she just takes a regular day and, and kind of unpacks the ways that brushing your teeth, having your cup of coffee, sitting in traffic, arguing with your husband, you know, all of the things that never happens at our house. Um, but if it did, that there are ways of being able to turn all of those things into places of being with God. We can attune ourselves. We can learn how to take all of those things that we're already doing and turning them into prayer and into ways of being able to be with him. And that's the quest that we're on. I've been working on this for about 35 years-ish, and I still feel like, gosh, I have come a long way. Like My life looks radically different to when I started out on this thing, but I feel like I've still got so much to learn. So I'm just going to keep on keeping on. And I'd invite you to come join me. Making space and being deliberate about how we use our time and spend our attention so that we grow in our ability to be able to be on the lookout for God and his activity in our lives is something that we need to prioritize. It's not just going to happen on its own just by osmosis or something. And this is the time of the year, which is a really great time for us to review and reset our rhythms. You know, Lent... Uh, starts on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday because we've got an early Easter this year. Lent is this whole season of inviting us to give something up to create space to be able to encounter God in that space. People give up food. They give up chocolate. It's almost worse than giving up food in general, I think. Um, Giving up television, giving up time on their phones, anything, as if you are interested in, in looking at, you know, do I give something up? It's the 40 days coming up to Easter. Do I give something up? God, is there something you want me to give up so that I can create some space to be able to spend with you? And he may well show you something. 
The growth of our spiritual lives is primarily God's work. So he is the one that changes our hearts, that changes our longings, the things that we want. And then our response to his lavish love for us is to cultivate practices in our lives that are going to help us to experience Jesus, be incrementally changed by him, and then embody his love and his wisdom out into the world wherever God sends us. He leads and we learn to follow And that's what I want to challenge each of us to do this year. We must doggedly contend to keep Jesus at the center of our lives this year. It won't happen all by itself. The flow of culture, the flow of our broken nature will take us away from God if we don't do anything to pursue him. Mary Oliver, who is a poet, she says that attention is the beginning of devotion. So what is it that has our attention? What is it that captures our imagination there? We've been encouraged all the way through Scripture to make this a priority, and here's a couple of verses that kind of help flesh that out. Deuteronomy 4 verse 9 says, Take heed and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. It addresses the fact that we're forgetful. We forget things. I have had to set alarms on my phone, even though I have already established some of these rhythms that I want to do morning and night. I've set alarms on my phone to remind me, oh yeah, there's that thing that I really want to do that somehow in the course of my day I forget. So I need an alarm to remind me. We can turn those devices into tools of good. Um, But it's like we have to be diligent with this thing. We have to be persistent. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it is the wellspring of life. Life flows out of the state of our heart. We want to be diligent about keeping our heart focused on Jesus. And I think that when we have encountered Jesus and we get this taste of what real love and what real life can be, it makes us hungry and thirsty for more of that. And it's dissatisfying. It kind of ruins us for any fake imitations. Although giving up some of those fake imitations can still be really challenging. Like, we all know that junk food's bad for us, or that junk television is bad for us, but we still do it, or not. Am I the only one? I mean, it's like, really? Let's just be honest. Call it for what it is. It's like, we can know some things are really life-giving and good for us, and we still don't do them. I'm always boggled when I meet doctors who are like masters of knowing what goes on in the body, and they smoke. You know? Or drink in excess, or just eat loads. And, you know, I mean, to be fair, they work pretty hard, aren't they, in, their, in the system? But, but it's just like, oh my gosh, there's this disconnect sometimes, isn't there, between what we know is good for us and what we actually do. What we're wanting to do is to live more authentically, more integrated, that our faith, because what happens in our relationship with God touches every other part of our lives. And so whatever is going on there is going to have this flow-on effect. St. Augustine, he said this, I love this quote, you have put salt on our lips that we may thirst for you. Wow, I love it. Lord, would you make it more salty? Increase my longing so that I am so hungry and thirsty for you that it pulls me 
towards you, even when it's hard. And I suspect that that longing and that thirsting is something that many of us can relate to. So the choice is, do we just stop there, panting, waiting, hoping for the satiating filling of the Holy Spirit, or do we do something? Some people have grown up in religious settings that have uh, been difficult, and where the emphasis on doing or kind of working out our salvation has, has swung way too far to an unhealthy and unscriptural place. And it can make some of us a little weary and averse to anything that has the word work or effort in it. However, in the words of Christian philosopher Dallas Willard, he says, grace isn't opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Let me say that again. Grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. We are not trying to do any of the things that we do when we change the rhythms and practices of our lives to earn God's love or affection or approval. We already have that. It's a gift. That's where the grace piece is. However, we too have been invited to play a part in this transformational relationship that we are part of. We are active participants, not passive an audience that just watches from the sidelines. And I think we need to get really sure, and this is why I prayed for each one of us at the beginning, that our starting point is recognizing that we are loved by God. He loves you. You are his beloved. You don't have to do anything to earn that love. It's a bit like when I was handed my each of my daughters, when they were born, we've got three girls, and they put this little thing in your arms, and you look at her, and you're overwhelmed with love for this child. They don't do anything. They just are. That's how God feels about us. We don't have to do anything. He just loves us. He loves you. That's our starting point. But we are expected and invited to actually be active in this becoming process that we are part of. And Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13, says, Paul tells us, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Well done. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. That's not fear as an, oh, you're really scary. It's fear as like an awe. That's what he's talking about. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This isn't us just working this, if I just try hard enough and drum up enough. This is us working in partnership with what the Holy Spirit is already doing in our lives. It's being attentive to that. It's been a cooperative participant in that journey. And we all know, don't we, that if we want to get good at anything, it's going to take time and energy, isn't it? It's going to take practice. And uh, whether that's, you know, learning a new language. I know we've got CrossFit people here who put in phenomenal hours training for, like, some of the CrossFit competitions and things that come up. You know, for us to get good at any sport, for us to learn a new language, it's like to become proficient in a new language just takes loads and loads and loads of practice, doesn't it? 
for us to be have great marriages or great friendships or to be the parents that our children deserve, it takes practice. We have to work at this thing. Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote a book called Outliers, he refers to the 10,000-hour rule. Have we heard of that, some of us? Yeah. He asserts that the key to achieving true expertise in any skill is simply a matter of practicing, albeit in the correct way, for at least 10,000 hours. It's practicing. Now, I read that quote, and part of me is like, oh, okay, how much time am I actually giving to trying to get good at this following Jesus thing? That's quite confronting at times because it's been pushed to the margins. So I have to reset things a little. But it's also super encouraging because it means that I don't have to get this right or figured out in five minutes. I've got a whole lifetime to be able to practice this thing, to practice being in relationship with God, to practice outworking my faith and embodying his love and his compassion and his wisdom in my life and into the world. There's room for me to fail because it's practice. Is that good news? Yeah. So what can help us? What can help us as we start or restart our, our year? What can we put into practice that, is, that has served people of faith for centuries? In Jeremiah 16, it says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. And one of the things that has been developed over the centuries and that we have records from about the fourth century from the desert mothers and fathers is a rule of life. Now, I've talked about this before. There's other stuff on our website if you want to unpack that in depth. And there's tons. If you put in rule of life, you know, Christian rule of life, there's tons of stuff on, on, uh, online for you to be able to have a look at that. But so many people before us have sought to follow the example that Jesus set and to follow in his footsteps. And they found that this creating this rule of life helped them to do this. We actually all have a rule of life. You know, we probably get up in the morning, we have a bit of a routine that we just don't even think about. It's just habit. You might eat the same cereal every day. You might get up at the same time every day, make a coffee, put the dog out for a walk, go to the loo, have a shower, brush your teeth, head out the door, all of which you don't think about. Like we've just established these habits, haven't we? These practices that we have. What a rule of life gives us the opportunity to do is to think intentionally about the things that we're doing every day. Are they helping me to be able to be with Jesus or am I just sort of mindlessly going through my motions every day? Creating our own rule of life allows us to give thought and intention to our daily, weekly, monthly and annual practices and rhythms so that we can align the way that we're living with our deepest desires. That the things that help us to connect with God and to live life with him and in the company of others is embedded into our lives. As uh, Ken Shigematsu, who wrote this wonderful book, God and My Everything, he says this. He says, it's simply a rhythm of practices that empowers us to live well and grow more like Jesus by helping us experience God in everything. I don't know about you, but that sounds real good to me. 
I found this a number of years ago and I've been working on trying to actually put this into my life. And honestly, it's something I have to keep reviewing all through the year, but this is a great time of the year for me to kind of reset things. It acts like a kind of trellis. Can we have a picture of that trellis? There we go. Here's an example. Uh, this is an example of uh, a rule of life that he would uh, encourage us to explore. It, en it encompasses the, everything in our lives, but it's built around these three foundational kind of root systems, Sabbath or rest, prayer, and sacred reading, reading of scripture. And then all of the other areas of our life are woven around this framework, this trellis that helps support our growth and our fruitfulness in all areas of life. It helps us to be deliberate about our relationships, our money, our family life, our sexuality, self-care, work, service, fun, and reaching out to others. Those are some of the headlines that he uses. But honestly, there's loads of different ways of developing a rule of life. But it's this, the wonderful thing about it is that whatever season of life we're in, it, can, uh, it doesn't sound like a rule could flex, but it really does. A rule of life, you think about this flexible trellis that is there to support our lives, to support the fruitfulness that we're wanting to grow into. And it adapts to the season of life that we're in or the personality preferences that we have or the stage of faith that we're in. There's room for us to, um, it's not a one size fits all, it's custom made. And it's always open for being able to be tweaked and modified as we go. So my rule of life that I'm developing now looks very different from when I, when I had young children. You know, prayer now, I get to sit uninterrupted for like half an hour, you know, in the morning before I head out for a walk and carry on my conversation there. It's like, when the kids were small, it might have been when they were falling asleep in the back of the car and I was stopped at traffic lights. Prayer. Oh yeah, prayer. Okay, here I am, Lord. You know, like, the rhythms had to look really different. But we still want to be intentional about those things. And because that our relationship with God touches every other area of our life, it's really important that we do this. So I want to invite you to consider creating a deliberate rule of life for yourself this year. Some of you might be familiar with this. Some of you may have never heard of this and go, oh, rule, oh, that sounds a bit oh, rigid and I don't like that. It's really not. Think trellis. Think when you, I mean, any gardeners in the room? All right, we've got a few. So uh, there's lots of plants that need a support structure for it to climb and grow up, isn't it? Like wisteria, jasmine, tomato plants, beans, sweet peas, vines. Hey, that's a bit biblical. The vineyard. <laughs> we need a trellis in which to thrive. That's what its function is. It just is helping us to thrive in all of the ways that we want to grow. And some of these books may help you. So God and My Everything by Ken Shigematsu, he goes through looking at how do you develop a rule of life. The Making of an Ordinary Saint by Nathan Foster. He spent a year, his dad was Richard Foster, who is very well known within Christian circles. And uh, he takes a lot of the classical spiritual practices and spends a year experimenting doing them. And he talks about the ways that he outworks them as well as what he discovers along the way, which is super encouraging because it's really down to earth and relatable. And then uh, Tish Harrison Warren, 
uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary is another one of just how to take an ordinary day and see it differently, to be able to engage with God in different ways as we go about our days. They are just starting points. There's a whole lot of good books out there, but they're the ones I happen to have on my bookcase. So... The great thing about this is that while each one of us is called to work this out individually, we do it alongside one another. We had this moment in the summer <clears throat> where uh, we would jump. We'd done a, the estuary walk with some friends that were visiting from Seattle, and the tide was just coming, and there was just enough water at the at the jetty to be able to do the jumping thing. Which I'll tell you, I've lived here for over 14 years, and I've never done because I was always intimidated by those kids who were doing the biggest manus off of those things, off of the high jumping thing, you know, and I'm just like, no, 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 far too embarrassing. Plus, the water's cold. So, you know, I don't get into the sea till like March, you know, it's like, anyway, this was January and we've just done this walk, which was really hot because we've had these gloriously hot days and there was just enough water and there were no children. So I was like, I can be brave. And so, uh, so we... I think Matt and Bruce, I think, were the ones like, oh, man, it's just really hot. Let's go have a swim. None of us had togs. We were just in our shorts and, you know, walking stuff. Anyway, so there we were. We all jumped in. I jumped in, people. Now, some of you know me and you'll know, gosh, that was a brave move, Jacinda, because she doesn't normally do that. But I did, and it was so much fun. And while we were there having so much fun, this guy is driving over the bridge with his family who sees us jumping in and having so much fun. So he gets out, he literally parks the car, leaves the family in the car, and comes and joins us. And he says, look like you guys were having so much fun, I thought I'd just come and join you. And so he does, I think, did he do like one jump? One big manu, which, to be fair, outdid all of ours. And then he left, because he's like, well, yeah, the missus will get a bit, you know, off. And so I was like, okay then, see you later. But just, it struck me in this moment, this is one of those times that I actually was attentive and noticing that God might be telling me something. What would it be like if people saw us living our lives authentically following Jesus, so filled with the joy and the adventure of it all, that they see what we're doing and the way that we're living, and they're like, that looks like fun. I want to join in. Imagine if all of us were living lives where we were really living out what we say we believe, and all of the people in our lives that are watching to see, is this faith thing really real? this Jesus thing actually make any difference at all? And they see it change us. And they're like, that doesn't look too bad. I want a bit of that for me. Imagine that. That's what I'm hoping for and praying for for us for this year. It's not about ticking the to-do list. It is about being in relationship with a loving God who loves us and is on the journey of helping us to become his disciples more and more that we would find ways to keep Jesus at the center of our lives as we long to be with him, to become like him, and to do the things that Jesus does. Dallas Willard again, he says in his book, The Great Omission, the greatest issue facing the world today, big statement, with all of its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into every corner of human existence. This is important. This is really important.
which is why we wanted to start the year by putting this in front of you again. I know you have heard these kinds of messages, some of you, over and over again, but I, I for one, I've been in the church a long time. I never not need to hear this. To keep calling me back. To reimagine what my faith and my walk with God can look like and, and step into it in new ways year on year on year. Thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whanau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day and be blessed.